and welcome to the Bodybuilding Dietitians Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today for what is now episode 82. And as always, you are joined by your hosts, Tiara and Jack. Now, before we get into today's episode, as always, we just want to remind you that if you do enjoy these podcast episodes, please feel free to tell your family and friends about them. Take a screenshot, post it to your Instagram stories, tag Jack, tag myself, tag the bodybuilding dietitians. And if you are interested in getting in touch with us regarding our coaching services, you can always head over to our website at www.thebodybuildingdietitians.com, which you can also find in the show notes below or any of our Instagram bios. So without further ado, we shall get cracking with today's first question. So this one says, how can your dietary habits influence your testosterone levels? So this is a good question and I'm sure a lot of guys and maybe girls when they first started lifting were Googling how can I naturally raise my testosterone. Mm -hmm. You have those testosterone boosters and I even remember in high school I used to make this meal by combining everything that they said would raise testosterone. Oh my gosh, what was in this meal? Do you remember? So it was like the only thing I remember that actually raised it was garlic and tuna apparently (laughs) so i used to have like kidney beans garlic tuna some brown rice broccoli peas and corn and onion i think oh my god throw a few eggs in there a bit of milk man yeah boy well you had a test boosting meal there (laughs) but that's the thing like it's it says that you know this will boost your testosterone even if it doesn't boost your testosterone a meal like that it would taste pretty funky but it might boost your health Mm. (laughs) So the thing we got to remember with raising testosterone is it's very important to have a healthy range and it's not good if we go below a certain range. Mm. However, taking test boosters and eating eating certain foods, it might increase it by a very small amount, Mm -hmm. but it's not enough to going to physiologically make you grow more muscle. That's why people take exogenous testosterone. Yeah, exactly. That's a really, really good point. So Certainly, if you're deficient, that's a major issue because, you know, people hear the word testosterone and they immediately just associate that with, oh, I'm going to build more muscle, right? Well, testosterone has a number of roles in the body and it's not just in males. Females have testosterone in them too, right? Because it's an absolutely vital hormone. But testosterone, despite being involved in building lean muscle mass, it's also heavily involved in laying down bone mineral density it also has anti-inflammatory effects in the body it also influences you know our blood and it influences leptin it influences a whole bunch of different things so it's important to note that it's not just muscle mass it's a whole other realm of health parameters Mm. too and there's unfortunately not going to be one food as you may have guessed by now that is going to raise your testosterone so if that's what you meant by the question then that's yeah there's not not much we can Mm -hmm. do to help you but just regular diet and eating well will be beneficial for your testosterone and that's why there's the results of a lot of investigations have basically summed up that if you're overweight or obese and if you have a highly processed diet then you'll have lower testosterone levels Mm -hmm. especially if you're overweight or obese because that, I mean, it's about cause and effect in terms of the diet. Like, is it the diet that's lowering the testosterone or is it the obesity or is it both? But yeah. I think it's both. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when someone is consuming a highly processed diet, they are overweight or they are obese, generally that person, they are suffering from metabolic syndrome and they also have chronic inflammation. And when your body is highly inflamed, what that can actually do is uh, that inflammation can influence these cells in the testicles called the Leydig cells. So they're actually responsible for producing testosterone. So when those cells are, you know, uh, negatively influenced by high levels of circulating cytokines, right, that are generally produced as a result of being overweight and obese, that can negatively influence your testosterone levels. So they actually show that, you know, if you are overweight or obese, it's actually beneficial for your testosterone levels, food sources aside, to actually just start regularly exercising, right, and losing some weight. Mm. And that can naturally bring your testosterone levels back up to a homeostatic range. Yeah. And then, of course, you have the opposite end of the spectrum where... I think the listeners might resonate more with this where if you Mm -hmm. get too lean, that'll impact your hormone production as well. Yeah, absolutely. So that's the thing, right? And we have and both are related to your food, of course. Yeah, definitely. So there's, there's certain nutrients that are heavily involved in testosterone production. So there's probably three main ones. One would be zinc. The other one would be vitamin D and the other one is cholesterol. So testosterone, it is a cholesterol derived steroid hormone. But so two of those, well, we can get all three of those from the diet, but the thing about, they're, they're pretty unique, right? Because when we think about cholesterol, cholesterol, our body synthesizes cholesterol naturally. You'll actually, you know, if you're not consuming cholesterol in the diet, the body actually needs to synthesize around one gram of cholesterol every single day because cholesterol, it's actually, you know, incorporated into all of our cell membranes. It actually helps with regulating the fluidity and the structure of a cell membrane and cholesterol. It's also involved in producing vitamin D in the skin, and it's also involved in producing testosterone, right? So our body makes our own cholesterol. So Like you don't necessarily need to get cholesterol from the diet, but sometimes you do get cholesterol from the diet from things like eggs and fatty sources of meat and stuff like that. But in saying that, you know, the literature shows that if you are producing enough cholesterol within your body, then you don't actually necessarily absorb a lot of cholesterol from your diet, if that makes sense. So dietary cholesterol actually doesn't have a huge influence on blood cholesterol levels. So that's cholesterol, right? Then there's vitamin D. Vitamin D, you can get it from food sources, from things like milk and eggs and you know fatty fish and stuff, but you only usually get around 10% of your vitamin D through the diet if you're actually eating those food sources. The majority of vitamin D is actually made from just sunlight exposure, right? So if you're getting regular sunlight, otherwise, if you're not getting regular sunlight exposure, it's actually really, really important that you are supplementing with vitamin D. And then the last one is zinc. So zinc is involved in testosterone production as well. And you're going to get zinc from food sources, especially things like shellfish and different types of seafood and stuff. But uh, again, if you're not consuming those types of foods, you can get them from things like beans. You can get some from red meat. But if your diet is like completely devoid of zinc, then you could consider, I guess, a zinc supplement. Mm. But supplements are really only going to work if you are already, if you're deficient in that nutrient. And yes, of course, you're going to receive a benefit if you're deficient in anything, and then you come back up to your normal range. Yeah, I think especially people in 
colder climates like mm-hmm. Europe would benefit and North America might benefit from uh, vitamin D supplementation. Yeah, I would highly, highly recommend it. Even here in Australia, you know, like down in Melbourne or in Canberra when it's freezing cold. Well, maybe not freezing, but it's very cold. You know, you're rugged up or, you know, you just, you're not getting that sunlight exposure. Or even if you do work in a sunny climate, right? But you're inside in an office all day. Vitamin D is so freaking important. And it's not just for testosterone production, you know? Vitamin D, Vitamin D actually helps with the absorption of calcium in the small intestine. Vitamin D is involved in building our bones. It's heavily re- uh, involved in our immune system and having a healthy, strong immune system. So vitamin D is super duper important. Mm, it's mm. one of the best. It's one of the best vitamins, man. <laughs> right up there. Get the D. <laughs> right up there with all the other vitamins. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> it's an equal playing field. They're all important, guys. But anyway, back to the testosterone, Jack. Is there any foods, you know, how, how can someone, you know, boost their testosterone naturally? What are some basic things they could probably do? Well, as I said previously, you can just conduct regular exercise Mm -hmm. in accordance with the guidelines and also just consume a balanced, healthy diet. So Mm -hmm. ensuring that you're having fruits, vegetables, whole grains, and yeah, just check out the food pyramid or the Australian dietary guidelines or just keep listening to our podcast. Yes. (laughs) Keep listening to the TBD podcast and your test levels will be through the roof. But yeah, I guess it just comes back to basics, you know? And the yeah, and as Tierra said, if you are deficient in something and you replenish your stores of it, then mm-hmm. that would be a method of increasing testosterone as well. Yeah. But I would hope that not many people are deficient in those mm-hmm. things. Yeah, so just man, just the basics. Healthy diet, regular exercise, enough sleep low stress, you know, and uh, trying to maintain a healthy weight, right? And like Jack said, like being too overweight or obese, that's going to negatively influence testosterone levels, but also being super duper lean, like bodybuilding competition lean, right? That's also negatively going to influence testosterone levels, which ties in with why following a competition, it's really important that you do go through a recovery diet and try to get your body weight back up, you know, in a healthy, sustainable way, right. To get those testosterone levels back up. Cause again, it's not just muscle mass guys. It's a whole bunch of different, really important health parameters that you need to take Mm. into consideration. Yeah. Having gone through lower testosterone myself, like every male competitor goes through Mm -hmm. it. I'd be surprised if you don't. And you kind of just lack that drive. Yeah. And of course you lack libido, but... Yeah, we haven't even mentioned libido. That's a huge one. <laughs> yeah. And, but it probably more annoying than the libido aspect was the, just the drive. Yeah. And not, like you just wake up and you're like, oh, I could just go back to sleep or I don't really want to do this today. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like being a little bit depressed. And I'm mm-hmm. sure that people who, do, who have low testosterone there might be a relationship there with depression yeah gosh that would be awful so man you know bodybuilding it's it gains stage lean it's a very acute thing but you know either side of it take care of yourself and uh stay and if you ever you know are concerned that perhaps you think you are suffering from symptoms of low testosterone levels you know go get a blood test from your gp get these things checked out because it's so so important as well and you can you know speak to a dietitian too and make sure that you are getting these certain types of nutrients in your diet to ensure that you're supporting proper testosterone production. And a final little thing that some people might actually not know is that 
if you do have a very high amount of circulating testosterone in your body, right, that's actually going to go to the liver and it's actually going to be converted into estradiol, which is a form of estrogen. So that's actually something that, you know, enhanced bodybuilders and enhanced performance athletes who are supplementing with exogenous forms of testosterone might actually suffer from, right? Because their body recognizes that like, whoa, 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 things are out of balance here. I've got way too much testosterone. I need to balance it out with my estrogen levels. So it'll try to convert some of that testosterone into estrogen. And as we know, estrogen has very different roles in the body compared to testosterone. So that's why you might hear, you know, like performance enhanced athletes, uh, saying things like, oh, they're taking estrogen blockers, right? So just throwing that in there. But of course, Jack and I really don't know that much about performance enhancing drugs and that whole side of thing. But I just do think that side, you know, that little point is interesting. Mm. <laughs> it is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. So guys, we're going to move on to this next question. This one says, are there food pairings that unlock bioavailability in each other? For example, sweet potatoes and broccoli. <laughs> I've never heard of that pairing. I've never heard of that one before either. <laughs> so yeah, there are actually quite a few food pairings that, well, not just pairings, but also how we prepare food in order to unlock the nutrients. Mm-hmm. And, unlock it. <laughs> and two of them that involve cooking is cooking broccoli to activate the sulforaphane. Mm-hmm. And sulforaphane is just a compound in broccoli. Mm-hmm that is beneficial for our health. And the same for lycopene in tomatoes, which is another compound. Yeah, so, and the interesting thing about that is that, you know, when you cook something, right, it's going to influence it either way. So for example, when you cook a tomato, it's gonna make that lycopene more bioavailable. But at the same time, if you're heating up a tomato, that's going to degrade the vitamin C content of that tomato because vitamin C is very heat sensitive. So you won't get as much vitamin C, but you will get some more lycopene. So, you know, sometimes there's just this trade-off, but there are a few things that certainly increase bioavailability, but there's also certainly a few things that inhibit the absorption of different nutrients. So I guess just a few examples, you know, a very common one is, you know, vitamin C and iron. So we know that consuming a vitamin C source, right, with iron will increase the absorption. So for example, right, if you have some iron in your kale or your spinach, right, if you have that kale and spinach and you in a salad and you squeeze some lemon juice, right? Or you put little bits of orange in there or something that's might increase the absorption of that vitamin C. Another one, you know, is turmeric. So turmeric is popularized because it has this compound in it called curcumin and curcumin. It has a lot of anti-inflammatory effects in the diet, which is fantastic, but turmeric and curcumin, they're actually fat soluble nutrients. So for example, if you were to make turmeric rice, right, or you you were to make a curry and put some turmeric powder in it, it would be beneficial to add some olive oil to your rice or make sure that you have some coconut milk in that curry because that's going to assist with the absorption of that curcumin from that turmeric. And there's even some literature to support that combining black pepper with your turmeric will actually black pepper extract well or even just some cracked black pepper do you need to extract mm. black pepper i'm not sure about the cracked black pepper <laughs> i'm pretty sure you can just crack on some normal pepper i don't know if you need to extract anything it has to be from the himalayas in the in Hi- right at the top of the mountain <laughs> 
Oh, yes. So it's not, and the Himalayans, they don't just produce the pink salt. Now they're producing freaking extracted black pepper. <laughs> but yeah, put some, put some black pepper in your curry or your turmeric rice or whatever. That might help with absorption too. And just like things like fat-soluble vitamins. So you've got vitamin A, D, E, and K. Consuming those alongside a fat source helps with the absorption of that. So for example, vitamin E in your almonds or vitamin E in your avocado, right? Those foods are very smart, right? Those foods are very intelligent because they have some fat in them already. So having almonds or having avocado, it's going to assist with that absorption of vitamin E anyway or you know beta carotene for example in your sweet potato right beta carotene is the inactivated form of vitamin a of vitamin a so if you have some olive oil or something with your sweet potato right or have an egg or something that's going to help the absorption of that and yeah as tiara said there's the opposite as well so Mm. we have compounds that can interfere with the digestion and absorption of nutrients so Mm. for example like tannins and tea and coffee and oxalate which is basically a compound found in leafy green vegetables Mm -hmm. and phytates as well which are found in nuts yeah so things like that right so like there might be situations right where you actually consume a pretty nutritious meal so let's say that you're having breakfast and you have a nice cup of coffee you've got a whole grain cereal that might be you know fortified with some iron and then you have that with a decent serve of chobani yogurt which has got a good amount of protein in it you know a good amount of calcium you put some blueberries on there some walnuts like some sort of breakfast and you've got a whole grain carbohydrate source you've got a nice fat source you've got a good protein source but the thing is when you consume this as a mixed meal some nutrients might interfere with one another and fight for absorption so for example if you have a fortified breakfast cereal that's fortified with iron but you consume that with a bunch of chobani yogurt which is a great source of calcium Calcium and iron actually compete for one another in the small intestine for absorption. And usually calcium's probably gonna win because we have only a certain number of transporters in our small intestine that can absorb a certain amount of nutrients at once. And it's these nutrients that end in a two plus with their little electrons. If you guys know like chemistry and the periodic table, right? So we're thinking about these different nutrients, but you can actually only absorb around 100 milligrams of these certain nutrients at any one time. And the ones that really fight for absorption ending in that two plus are things like calcium, zinc, magnesium, iron, right? So if you are consuming something with calcium in it, let's say you had a good amount of Chobani yogurt and you've got like 300 milligrams of calcium in there, and then you also have your breakfast cereal, which might have like maybe 10 or 20 milligrams of iron, right? You're probably a lot more likely to absorb a lot more of that calcium, but you might not be able to absorb a lot of that iron, which I just find counterintuitive with breakfast cereals being fortified with iron because you generally always consume a breakfast cereal with milk or yogurt or something with a decent amount of calcium in it so mm. it can be a sticky just, situation yeah. and if you're having a cup of coffee with that too that might interfere with the iron absorption as well yeah i just think that they don't fortify these breakfast cereals for our benefit they do mm. it for marketing what so they're just like just chuck some iron in there man and hope for the best <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty much what they do. (laughs) 
but uh but don't you agree like yeah it? definitely i think a lot of the people don't like not a lot of people just you know in terms of nutrition right i feel like they just really need dietitians behind a lot of before they make calls like i find a lot of Mont- I don't think it's necessarily wrong to fortify with iron. No, it's it's certainly not wrong. But like, we just have to think about, okay, like it's awesome that the iron's in this food and you're swallowing it, but is it actually going to be absorbed maximally into your blood? Like we have to think about all the steps because that's the main goal. We want to have you at a good iron level. That's That's the main thing. But there's a lot of, you know, there's different things. So going back to calcium, right? So calcium it's actually going to be assisted with absorption of the small intestine by vitamin d so vitamin d like we've talked about at the beginning of this podcast it's synthesized in the skin right we produce our own vitamin d in the body and that can go to the small intestine and help to absorb some calcium but some calcium containing foods actually contain vitamin d too so things like milk so some of the vitamin d in that milk will also help with the absorption of that calcium. Another really interesting one as well is actually this type of fiber in oats. It's called beta-glucan. So beta-glucan, it doesn't actually assist with the absorption of anything, but it assists with cholesterol not being reabsorbed. So when we consume food, right, bile acid from our liver and our gallbladder, it comes down into the small intestine and it helps to emulsify fatty acids. But one of the main components in bile is actually cholesterol. But the cool thing about beta-glucan in oats is that it can actually bind to the cholesterol in bile and it can stop it from being reabsorbed into the bloodstream, binds to it, and you can excrete it in your feces. So that can actually be very strategic for someone who perhaps has high blood cholesterol levels and they want to lower those. So that's why you'll see on a lot of oat packets, right? Like consuming these oats may help with lowering your blood cholesterol levels, leading to better cardiovascular health. The reason why it lowers cholesterol though as well is because then the body needs to utilize more cholesterol to Mm. create bile. Yeah, exactly. So So you're just, you're getting rid of it and your body has to work harder to start making more of it. So And plant sterols have a similar effect as well. Yeah, yeah. So it's really cool. There's all these little things. So some things can certainly benefit, you know, and some things can inhibit. But I would recommend trying to just not get too lost in the weeds, you know, like don't stop consuming certain things in your diet because you're like, oh God, you know, like if I have this and this, then that won't be absorbed and this might be absorbed. And like, don't freak yourself out. Still just eat food, right? Because the body, it's going to work it out. (laughs) Yeah. Like I I knew someone who went to the GP and got their uh, cholesterol levels tested Mm -hmm. and the doctor was like, yeah, go and have this margarine, which is fortified with plant sterols. Like he didn't even mention oats. Oh God. And he wouldn't even mention vegetables. What the heck? Like you're recommending like margarine fortified with plant sterols instead of just actually consuming some vegetables. What the heck? That's why you're dietitians. That's why you go to a dietitian, man. (laughs) That's why you come to the bodybuilding dietitians. But yeah, um, I think I think it's really interesting. But yeah, don't just don't get too lost in the weeds. I just say, you know, obviously if if you're like in the weeds, I've never heard that before. (laughs) (laughs) Don't don't get lost in the weeds, man. It's it's awful out there in the weeds. Uh, But 
some things like if you are anemic, right, and you can't consume iron through your diet just perhaps because of the certain types of foods that you consume, if you have been prescribed to take something like an iron tablet, we've spoken about this on the podcast before you, so you can go back to one of those episodes. I think like it says iron absorption or something in the podcast title, but essentially if you're consuming an iron tablet, because iron is such a flippin' iffy one, right, so many things interact with it and interfere with it from actually getting into your blood, the best recommendation is to just consume your iron on an empty stomach. So probably first thing when you wake up, you have a glass of water, have your iron tablet, you know, before you consume anything else. And that's probably the best way to actually get that iron into you. But other little things, you know, yeah, I just, I wouldn't, yeah, just don't get too bogged down and stressed out about it because that might cause more harm than actually just pairing two nutrients together anyway. Yeah. All right, so moving on to this next one, it says tips for bodybuilders who suffer from IBS in both their prep and their improvement season. So the the shorter answer to this is that it's going to apply to everyone, like mm-hmm. regardless of whether you're a bodybuilder or not, it's going to mm-hmm. be a very similar answer. And if you are, if you do have IBS or ex- you experience some of those symptoms, you need to be proactive with it. Like there's no point just continuing to eat foods that irritate you or not having an understanding of the foods that irritate you. Like mm-hmm. just if you continue to eat normally as a normal person with IBS, then you're going to get symptoms. Mm-hmm. Like it's as simple as that really. So like one, you need to figure out like why, what's causing the IBS because some people have anxiety associated IBS where being anxious or being stressed will exacerbate their IBS symptoms. Mm-hmm. And that's where going to a dietitian or a gastroenterologist will really help with that. And the second thing is finding out which foods exacerbate it mm-hmm. as well. And that's where why people go on the low FODMAP diet or they, they have specific foods that they need to be careful of. Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, regardless of who you are, right? If you are putting up with IBS, which stands for irritable bowel syndrome, which really is an umbrella term, you know, it irritable bowel syndrome, it encompasses so many different things that literally irritate your bowel. And it's very different to IBD, which is inflammatory bowel disease, which you, when you're actually in a disease state, but IBS for sure, you know, like talk to your gastroenterologist, speak with a dietitian. You might need to consider something like an elimination, an elimination diet, but best recommendation would be to really, like you said, be proactive, you know, try keeping a food journal, really note down like exactly what you're eating, right? And what actually sets you off so that you can identify these little things. So you can say like, okay, cool. I know that when I eat this very specific food that I get really gassy or, you know, I get terrible stomach cramps and it's just awful, you know, or I know when I'm in this really type of stressful situation and my boss is yelling at me or I'm having a fight with my partner, I just get awful stomach cramps. Also things like smoking, things like alcohol, a lot of things can irritate your bowel. So yeah, uh, this would be a really, really good question to ask your dad. Yeah, it would. Hopefully we'll have him on the podcast soon. Yes, we keep giving all these hints, but it is coming, guys. We are getting a gastroenterologist on the podcast very soon. <laughs> yeah, so I think as Tierra said, one of the ways to help with IBS is to do an elimination diet. And that'll basically identify which foods you're sensitive to. Mm-hmm. So the way elimination diet works is basically going back to the real basics. Mm-hmm. So maybe having something like 
white rice as as your carb source for all your meals and finding something that doesn't give you any symptoms and mm-hmm. sticking to that and then what you do is basically add in different food groups so for example um, amines or more or fructose things like that so fructose containing foods and then you leave the fructose in for a bit until you get any symptoms Mm -hmm. and if you get any ibs symptoms from the fructose you can say okay i'm sensitive to foods containing fructose and if you don't that's a win and then you can say okay my ibs isn't set off by fructose containing foods and then you basically do that with all the different like fodmap foods really yeah yeah, so that's that's the great thing about following a low FODMAP diet, right? Like it, it is plain and simple at the start, but then the thing is it's not it's not a chronic diet. You don't just go on a low FODMAP diet forever because low FODMAP diets, they are very restrictive. And also if you're chronically following a low FODMAP diet, you are at a risk of nutrient deficiency too, because all of these FODMAP containing foods, there are a hell of a lot of fruits and vegetables and dairy products in there, which contain, you know, essential nutrients that are vital for health. So you can't just cut all those out of your diet because what, like you might feel a little bit better in your gut, right? But you're going to suffer from a nutrient deficiency. So you got, you got to, you got to meet it halfway. So yeah, you follow a low FODMAP diet in, I would highly, highly recommend, don't just go on a low FODMAP diet, work alongside a dietitian. Okay. So work alongside a dietitian who is experienced with taking clients and patients through low FODMAP diets, and then you slowly start to reintroduce things. And you might be surprised, you know, these FODMAP containing foods, they are very nutritious foods, right? There's nothing unnutritious about garlic or onion, right? Or sweet potatoes. But sometimes these things just set people off, right? And they just can't handle it. It's a low FODMAP diet is going to be so unique to different people. Yeah, it will be like a couple of people in my family, even just in my family, mm-hmm. have um, have sensitivities, so they need to be careful. And it's it's very common. Yeah, absolutely. And I can, think we can, all have yeah. foods that, you know, don't make us feel our best, right? <laughs> yeah, especially even I found during the off season, I've stopped having things like, you know, I have them a lot less frequently, like quinoa or beans mm. or stuff like that. And I notice that even I get a bit... Um, irritated from those foods. <laughs> I get a little bit irritated too with the noise and the smells in the house. <laughs> no, but I think everyone, <laughs> I think, yeah, everyone's going to have a food that, man, it makes them fart, you know, it makes them gassy. It doesn't make them feel their best. And no matter if someone says, no, but you have to eat this food because it's a superfood. It's so good for you. It's like, dude, it is not freaking worth it. Okay. So yeah, it doesn't matter what the hell the nutrient composition of that food is because there's always a food that can replace the nutrients in that other food and it doesn't have to set off your gut. So yeah, uh, but yeah, don't don't tolerate and don't put up with pain and being uncomfortable, you know? Like if you're constantly experiencing, you know, pain after meals and just like really uncomfortable digestion and you're not feeling good and it's interfering with, you know, your performance in the gym it's interfering with your self-confidence your ability to concentrate at work or interact with your family whatever it is it's not worth it you know like take care of yourself and go get that checked out so yeah Mm. and the reality is it's it's very annoying that you have it Mm -hmm. and it doesn't 
stop that you do have it though Mm -hmm. it's like dealing with any other i wouldn't even say it's a medical condition but it's dealing let's say you have type 1 diabetes that has to you have to do something about that yeah and it's not just going to go away yeah and it's also like having an injury as well and continuing to train with that injury Mm -hmm. you still need to do something about that injury yeah couldn't agree more okay so we're going to answer one more question today This one asks, is creatine loading considered essential when you're using creatine HCL? So creatine loading is not essential for any type of creatine product, Mm -hmm. but so creatine HCL is creatine hydrochloride and apparently it's molecularly bound to hydrochloric acid Mm -hmm. to improve the rate of absorption. And Basically, there's been peer-reviewed studies on all the different types of creatine, and it doesn't matter which one you take. Yeah, so you can just stick to your creatine monohydrate. (laughs) Yeah, it's cheaper. And so the short answer is you don't have to load any form of creatine. All it means is that it it saturates your creatine stores Mm -hmm. faster, so then you potentially reap the benefits faster. Mm -hmm. But like I've been on and off creatine maybe two or three times, and... I've never bothered loading it. I've mm-hmm. just had five grams a day and it's just taking a bit longer. Yeah. So it, it might take like, instead of one week, it might take two I to think three it, weeks. Yeah, I think it takes like three to four weeks or something like that. But yeah, it's it's not necessary. But you know, if you do want to load creatine, we actually just posted a supplement infographic on our TB Instagram page yesterday. So you guys can definitely go and check that out for creatine, beta alanine and caffeine. But uh, the loading period for creatine, you know, you can pretty much for around seven days, so an entire week, you take 20 grams each day, but split that up into four five gram boluses just to assist with the absorption of that creatine. So that can help to maxly saturate your creatine phosphate stores, you know, get that creatine up to where it needs to be. And then just maintaining on it, taking three to five grams every single day following. It doesn't matter if you're training or not, right? It doesn't even matter if you go to the gym. I would highly recommend creatine supplementation. It's like the number one most evidence-supported supplement on the planet. And it's not just for exercise performance, it's for cognitive benefits too. And especially for people who are following vegan or plant-based diets or just not consuming a lot of animal products because we primarily get creatine in the diet from consuming animal products, right? So if you're not consuming a lot of those, then you naturally will have lower creatine phosphate stores. And that's what they've shown in the literature, you know, when they put different participants through creatine loading protocols and they test their performance or their cognitive benefits, generally it's those who already had lower creatine stores to begin with. So someone following a vegan or a vegetarian diet compared to um, uh, someone who is an omnivore, you know, all participants, generally everyone always reaps some sort of benefit from supplementing creatine, but it kind of goes back to what we were talking about with, with testosterone, right? Like if you have lower levels of a nutrient initially, Initially, you're going to receive a greater benefit if you start supplementing with that and start and have higher levels. So hopefully that makes sense. So the reason why HCL creatine isn't necessary is and other forms of like creating that supposedly uh, are absorbed faster is that your creatine stores are already saturated and digesting it and absorbing it faster doesn't really do anything because Mm -hmm. you're already saturated. The purpose of continuing to supplement creatine is to ensure that you're still saturated. You're not going to become unsaturated 
in the space of 30 minutes after your workout. So. Yeah, that's such a good point. And that's why, you know, creatine, it doesn't have an acute effect on performance. You don't take five grams of creatine and then you go and lift heavier on your bench press straight afterward. It's not like caffeine. You don't need to consume it around the time of exercise. You can consume it at any time of day as long as you're just consuming it. That's what's unique about creatine. Mm-hmm. So it's not acute, it's it's chronic. And yeah, hi- hydrolyzed, right? It's like hydrolyzed protein. You, you'll you see these protein tubs that say 100% hydrolyzed protein, right? Like get those amino acids into your bloodstream sooner and grow more muscle. It's like, dude, like you don't like whey protein and WPI, WPC, it's already, you know, such a small molecular size. It's not going to make a difference at all if it's, it's a very, very tight, like even smaller. So don't waste your money either on things like hydrolyzed protein. Just go for the normal WPI, WPC. And again, they've shown in the literature that has the exact same effect, mm. especially yeah gosh <laughs> same with egg whites or yeah, yogurt exactly and we have to remember you know what if you have your hydrolyzed whey protein but you have it alongside a salad right that salad it's going to interfere with the rate of absorption of that protein so other things influence it too so yeah anyway awesome. so that was the final question of the day mm-hmm. thank you to everyone who asked a question and as per usual we'll finish on something that we learned this week mm-hmm. so I'll let Tierra go first. Man, one thing I learned this week is that uh, sometimes it's not actually always your roof that's leaking. So, so, you know, sometimes you'll get a leak in the roof, right? And you'll be like, oh God, you know, a pipe is burst or... Is that with an A or an E? What? A leak? What do you... (laughs) I feel like only dietitians would laugh at that. There's a leak in the roof. (laughs) Oh gosh. We shouldn't be laughing this much. Okay, there there ain't leaks in the roof, but if there's a leak in the roof, it's not always a water leak, right? Um, so Jack and I, we noticed that our roof started dripping the other day, and we're like, oh gosh, you know, water's gotten into the roof or something's happened. But it hadn't rained. Yeah, but it hadn't rained. We're like, what the heck is going on? It was just in this funky little puddle on the roof. And so we called the real estate agent, right, sent him some photos. He came and checked it out, and he's like, yeah, good news is it's actually not, you know, a burst pipe or a water leak it's actually possum pee so (laughs) we actually have possums well we used to not anymore uh they're gone now but we had possums in the roof and i guess they just decided to pee in a certain spot Mm. start to pool and that literally was dripping from the roof so sometimes yeah possums man they're just urinating in the roof but luckily we got the builder guy or the possum guy out here and uh we had like a hole in our roof and these possums were getting in but he patched up the hole thank god but i'm glad we don't have a leak just that looks like the possums <laughs> decided to take a leak though but <laughs> very good yes guys just uh, i'm sure someone's probably gone through that before as well yeah of course yeah, yeah. but possums Jack- need to pee everyone needs to pee man but just maybe be considered and do it out on, out on the grass and like you know not in our roof mm. <laughs> in the attic but jack what did you learn this week so tia and i both love the dr car podcast from triple j mm-hmm. and triple j is a radio station here in australia dr carl is just this really super knowledgeable guy who yeah knows a lot on every topic mm-hmm. and yeah i could say like a million things from his podcast but one thing that i listened to today is that but some people are more addicted to 
cigarettes or vaping with nicotine is because they they actually have more nicotine receptors in their brain Ah. and that's why some people are more addicted some people less addicted and might be why like for example dr carl said he used to smoke and he just went cold turkey and he could just do it Mm -hmm. whereas other people they might need to go through patches or through other methods in order to to stop wow i didn't know that and that makes so much sense why some people can just be like not yeah, I'm just not going to do it anymore and they can just move on with life and other people really struggle. Mm. Gosh, I wonder if that's like genetic or hereditary or what, but boy, yeah. I guess yeah. the easiest thing is to hopefully just don't start, just don't smoke in the first place, right? And then, yeah, yeah no risk of being addicted, but boy, that's, that's fascinating. Mm. Yeah. Because, yeah, it originated from the conversation that vaping is being uh, cancelled in Australia, yeah, or illegal, whatever you want to call it. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, I we need to read more into that mm. because obviously it came out that that was a safer way, right? But it turns out no. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. I don't want to. I can't really comment until I know more about it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I just think it's weird that they're stopping vaping, so then people might start smoking more cigarettes. Like that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, it's um, it's a sticky issue. Yeah, let's stick to the dietetics. <laughs> All right, guys. So thanks so much for tuning in for episode 82 today. As always, if you enjoyed it, please feel free to tell your family and friends, take a screenshot of this episode, post it to your Instagram stories, tag Jack, tag myself, tag Bodybuilding Dietitian. And as always, catch you next week. See you guys.